0: Today on the Matt Walsh Show, in one of the most pathetic and cowardly displays we've seen in a long time, a comedian issues a lengthy written apology for taking a picture with Dave Chappelle. What can we learn from this sad spectacle, if anything? And is it time to stop our obsession with taking COVID tests? The Florida Surgeon General thinks so. Plus, a school district in Virginia stops grading homework assignments in the name of racial equity and an NFL player storms off the field in the middle of a game because, but, but, but what we're told by the media is he's really a victim in the middle of a mental health crisis. Is anybody responsible for their actions anymore or is every bad thing just the result of poor mental health? We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Well, now introducing a new sponsor that I'm very excited about. These are, uh, it's Good Ranchers. And, you know, there's one thing, two things that I love. Good stories and great meat. And uh, one such company that has, has both a great story and fantastic meat is Good Ranchers. We'll figure out how to start this copy at some point. But we're just going to go with it right now. Uh, they are the exclusive meat company of The Daily Wire for good reason they have 100 percent american meat steakhouse quality and it's all for an affordable price over 85 percent of the grass-fed beef in stores and online is imported from overseas which undermines american farms and ranches and often causes them to close down if you shop good ranchers today to support american-made that means that you're, you're helping to put the small farms back on top. And you're also just getting great meat. That's the most important thing. Plus, you can use my code, which is Walsh, for $30 off. That's the biggest first-purchase discount code Good, Good Ranchers has ever, ever given out, which means that there's uh, never been a better time to buy. You can support American farms and ranches and get delicious T-bones, gourmet burgers, ribeyes, and more mouth-watering cuts in the process. Visit GoodRanchers.com slash Walsh or use code Walsh at checkout to get $30 off any one of their variety boxes. So visit GoodRanchers.com slash Walsh or use code Walsh at checkout to get $30 off any of their variety boxes. Visit, again, GoodRanchers.com slash Walsh today to save 30% off on your box delivered straight to your door today. You know, it's always good to have uh, positive role models in life, but in a country where those are often hard to come by, it seems like, sometimes you have to settle for negative role models. And the useful thing about a negative role model is that he can show you exactly how not to respond in a given situation, which will also tell you exactly how you should respond. Now He's providing a roadmap in his own way, and that's the great service that cowards provide for all of us. And that's why we should be grateful in some ways to leftist comedian Patton Oswalt today, who uh, over the course of the past two days has unwittingly offered himself as a prime example of everything you shouldn't be and shouldn't do as a man or simply as a, as a human being. So it all began. Um, well, really, it began. It began shortly after Oswald was born. I guess it takes a lifetime to make cowards of this quality, but we don't have time to go back that far. So we'll start this week, just a few days ago, when Oswald was performing at a comedy club, apparently in Seattle, and his uh, his, as he says, dear friend of 34 years, Dave Chappelle, texted him and invited him to come next door to the arena where Chappelle was performing. Um, doing his own performance. And, and he said that uh, that Oswald could do a guest set there at his performance. So Chappelle was at a, an arena because he's a big popular comedian. And uh, Patton Oswald was at a small club because nobody cares about him. But Chappelle said, why don't you come over and you can perform in front of my bigger audience? You know, it's, it's a nice thing to offer. Um, I Now, why did Chappelle offer that? I guess Chappelle was angry with his audience that night and wanted to punish them by subjecting them to Patton Oswald. I don't know. We can't be sure exactly. But Oswald took him up on on the invitation, and later that night, he took a picture with Dave Chappelle and posted it to his Instagram. But the rage mob didn't like that. The uh, trans bullies and their lackeys decided that Patton Oswald shouldn't be friends with Dave Chappelle. Why? Well, of course, because Dave Chappelle has opinions about gender that are pretty, well, pretty, pretty liberal, actually, all things considered, but still slightly out of lockstep with the orthodoxy of the day. So he's a heretic. He's, he's Now, we should remember, he's, he's just barely a heretic. His opinions about gender are still, by the standards of uh, like 10 years ago, are pretty radical far left. But by the standards of today, they're, you know, maybe moderate at best. And that means that nobody can associate with him. The rage mob, the trans mob, the raging trans mob yelled at Patton Oswald for daring to continue a friendship with a man that he's known for three decades. I mean, and and how dare he, really? Oswald didn't even ask the strangers on the Internet for permission before choosing to continue his association with this person. And they were stunned by the insult, and they let him know it. And so, of course, what does Patton Oswald do? Well, he apologizes profusely and at length, complete with a a photo of him sitting ruefully at his desk like a child in timeout, hoping that Daddy isn't mad at him anymore. Here was his uh, follow-up post on Monday after desperately explaining how he ended up in the proximity of Dave Chappelle and trying to justify his decision to be photographed in the heretics company um, rather than simply stoning him to death on the spot and setting his corpse on fire as a true ally would have done, Oswald says this. We, Oswald and Chappelle, 100% disagree about transgender rights and representation. I support trans people's rights, anyone's rights, to live safely in the world as their fullest selves. For all the things he's helped me evolve on, I'll always disagree with where he stands now on transgender issues. But I also don't believe a seeker like him is done evolving, learning. You know, someone that long, see the struggles and changes, it's impossible to cut them off. Impossible not to be hopeful and open and cheer them on. Also, I've been carrying a lot of guilt about friends I've cut off who had views with which I couldn't agree or changed in ways I couldn't live with. Sometimes I wonder, did I and others cutting them off make them dig their heels in deeper? Fuel their ignorance with a nitro boost of resentment and spite? I'm an LGBTQ ally. I'm a loyal friend. There's friction in those traits that I need to reconcile myself and not let let cause feelings of betrayal in anyone else. And I'm sorry, truly sorry, that I didn't consider the hurt this would cause or the depth of that hurt. I've been messaging a lot on IG today, and the back and forth has really helped guide me in the writing of this. I deleted a lot, of, a lot of posts in the comment thread, critical ones from LGBTQ writers and posts by turf slash anti-trans orcs looking for clicks and giggles. I wanted a nice comment thread about the pick with my friend, Ugh, So easy to think someone else needs growth and miss the need in yourself. But I'm going to keep trying. So there you go. He's sorry, truly sorry. But he wants you to know that that he's only remaining friends with the guy that he's known for almost four decades in an effort to cure him of his ignorance and help him evolve. So this is like a this is an evangelical mission. You see, he's hoping to convert Chappelle to to induct him into the gender ideology cult. And that's the only reason he's staying friends with him. Now, naturally, he never explains what Chappelle is wrong about when it comes to gender. He also never explains how exactly anyone could be hurt, much less hurt with such great depth. Just because a comedian they like is friends with a comedian they don't like. But those questions are irrelevant. He is uh, just a a mouse, much like the one he voices in the one single Pixar movie that my kids refuse to watch because they say it's boring. Scurrying about, fearful and, and confused. I just hope that in all his scurrying, he doesn't accidentally bump into... This other comedian who has said way more problematic things about trans people, so Patton Oswalt, uh, watch out for this guy, his name is also Patton Oswalt. Watch:
1: You said this is for like families and kids? Because this sounds really grim and creepy. Well, you didn't let me finish because we're also going to have men in bright clothing and makeup up oh, timeout. You mean like like transvestites, right? Well. Technically, yes, but they're gonna keep going so that they're clowns. You realize a clown is just a transvestite that doesn't stop. <laughs> like if you, like if you, if you saw a guy in lipstick and eyeshadow, you'd be like, Timmy, leave him alone. That's his own thing. And the guy's like, Oh no, hang on. <laughs> like, oh Timmy, get a, he's a wonderful clown. Get over there. I didn't know you'd use a whole tube of lipstick on one cheek. Please. Entertain my child. (laughs) Run at him out of the darkness. He'll love it.
0: Well, I don't know how long ago that was, but it didn't look like it was all that long ago. And there is, of course, a direct link here. Out of all the adults bowing to cancel culture now, and especially to trans cancel culture, to LGBT cancel culture, precisely none of them have obeyed these rules their whole lives, because these rules, as they stand right now, didn't exist their whole lives. Most of them, being empty, gutless cowards, have lived their whole lives trying to avoid the sin, the sin of, of wrong-think, so they've been trying to engage in group-think and avoid wrong-think their whole lives, but the problem is that the thoughts which qualify as wrong and right tend to change, and what this means is that by obeying the thought police of today, you will inevitably end up disobeying the thought police of tomorrow. Because the rules are arbitrary and they change and it's designed that way. And because we live in, in eternal now where nothing is ever allowed to simply stay in the past and we're all called potentially to answer for everything we've ever said or done, no matter when we said or did it, the people who have been trying to stay up on the rules will always be in violation of them. It, it's a losing game. But it's the only one they know how to play. It's too late now for a guy like Oswald to suddenly grow a spine, a mind of his own, an intellectual identity of his own. He's doomed to finish his life as he's lived it until now, lying prostrate before the mob, begging to be loved and accepted, or at least pitied if he can't have love and acceptance. You know, a few years ago when Oswald was uh, jumping on the dog dog pile to slander the Covington Catholic kids as racists, he tweeted this about them. He said that they are quote bland, frightened, forgettable kids who will grow up grow up to be bland, frightened, forgotten adult wastes. That was a grown man talking about 15-year-old kids at the time, by the way. But he should have been talking to a mirror because he described himself and his ilk perfectly. Bland, frightened, forgettable. Couldn't have said it better myself. Now let's get to our five headlines. And now a word from the silencer shop. You know, big tech companies censor what's in your social media feed. Uh, You probably notice warning labels on content about topics that you're interested in. In spite of these community guidelines, I came across a a statistic that's super interesting. It's been on my mind as we start uh, 2022. In 2021, there were more than 3 million new gun owners in the U.S. These Americans acquire firearms for a variety of reasons, hunting, shooting sports, whatever it is. Uh, But what we know is that the right of these individuals to keep and bear arms is enshrined in the Second Amendment of the Constitution, and that's why 42% of households overall have uh, a firearm in the U.S. For all gun owners, using a suppressor is a must because it protects your hearing by, as the name of course implies, suppressing the sound of the firearm. Suppressors also protect the hearing of those around you. Because uh, they, too, are going to be impacted by the sound of a gunshot. Another benefit, shooting with a suppressor improves your accuracy because it minimizes recoil as well. My friends at Silencer Shop are the industry leaders for suppressors. They're a Texas-based company, and they make silencer ownership simplified. Each call, email, DM, or comment they treat, uh, that you send, they treat you like family, they'll respond to it. Their customer reviews are awesome. You go to Trustpilot. You can see that Silencer Shop has an average ranking of 4.9 out of 5 stars, and that's based on over 23,000 reviews. So this is a great company. In America, it's the right of the people to keep and bear arms, and the best way to get yours is through Silencer Shop. They have a variety of suppressors starting at just $365. Check out Silencer Shop. They make silencer ownership simplified. Uh, You know, I'm I'm such a pushover, I have to tell you. My, um, My daughter has been begging me for months now, Uh, she's eight years old. She's been begging me for months now to get her ears pierced. And for some reason, she really wants to have needles stuck in her ears and then hang ornaments from them and, um, hang ornaments from the wound. I, you know, I don't, I don't really understand that desire, but, uh, especially coming from someone like my daughter has zero pain tolerance, like zero. She stubbed her toe yesterday and I ran into the room because it honestly sounded like she was being stabbed. um, and yet somehow she wants to have this done to her. I don't know why. And she's been begging me and, uh, and I keep saying no because, you know, you're too young and uh, you don't need to do that. And just stop it. We're not doing that. And my wife has been conspiring with her to convince me because she thinks my daughter's old enough. But I've stood firm. You know, I've said, uh, you know, maybe when you're 16 or something, you get the spurs. And then two nights ago, I noticed um, a crumpled up piece of loose leaf paper in the kitchen. And, uh, and then I opened it up and it was a note from my daughter that she had written. And it said, please, daddy, can I have my ears pierced? I love you. And I asked my wife when she wrote the note and she told me that, um, she, that my daughter apparently had written it, you know, this, this very heartfelt lengthy note. She had written it a couple of weeks ago, but then didn't give it to me. I guess because, because I've, I've been so gruff about the, the ears pierced thing that she figured I would say no. So she ended up not giving it to me and she like threw it away. And that was all it took for some reason. It was, uh, it was that pathetic little note scribbled on loose leaf, left pitifully in the kitchen, that broke my defenses, and uh, the guilt trip landed successfully. And uh, I told her that, you know she can have the ears pierced if she wants. I'm, I, I, I'm continually discover that I'm very easy to manipulate. And I realized that. And I also realized that, that my daughter's smart enough that this might have all been a, a plan on her part. Because what my kids have started to realize is that if you want to get, what you, if, if you want to get something from me, uh, whining is never the way to do it. But to just sort of suffer in silence in that kind of pathetic, pitiful way that kids do, that's, that's what will get me. And then you end up getting everything you want. Um, all right, we'll, we'll start with this. I, I, I think this is important. Florida Surgeon General Joseph Ladapo is talking about moving away from testing. And this has, we'll play another clip in a minute here, but this has the media, of course, very upset because everywhere else in the country, they're testing everybody every 30 minutes. You know, Every time you go into another building, you got to take a test. Um, every t- when you wake up in the morning, you got to take a test. You go to work, you got to take a test. If you, have a, if, you, if you have a runny nose, take a test. If you don't have a runny nose, take a test. And that's, that's the general strategy, and that's why they're running out of tests everywhere, and it's hard to find the tests. People are hoarding them and everything. Um, There are all these really pathetic people in media that over Christmas were tweeting pictures of like boxes of tests that they got as Christmas presents and they were so excited about it. But in Florida, um, as they have been doing from the beginning of, of all of this, they're taking a different approach. So here's the Surgeon General saying that we need to get away from what he calls this testing psychology. We're going to be working to unwind the sort of testing psychology that our federal leadership has managed to unfortunately get much, most of the country in over the last two years. We need to unwind this testing
2: sort of, uh, um, sort of uh, planning and living one's life around testing.
0: Without it, we're going to be sort of stuck in the same cycle. So, you know, it's really time for people to be living, to uh, you know, to make the decisions they want regarding vaccination, um, to enjoy the fact that many people have natural immunity. Time for people to start living. That seems like reasonable advice now that we're going into uh, we're going into year three of this, and maybe three years later, it might be time. maybe now three years into this, you can finally start living your life. That's the way that I would look at it. Uh, A few thoughts on this, but first, here is CNN's TV doctor. This is, um, I don't know this guy's name, doesn't matter. Uh, Their TV doctor explaining why this is completely wrong and horrible and lots of people are going to die if we get away from the testing psychology. Listen.
2: Does he have a point? And and if not, why? No. And, And in fact, it's hard to believe those comments came from the Surgeon General of one of the largest states in, in, in this country. And his words echo what the former President of the United States, Donald Trump, sa- said in June of 2020 when he told a huge crowd in, uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that, the, only re- that the, the downside to testing is that you find so many cases and that he told his, his people to slow the testing down, please. Mm-hmm. The problem isn't that testing is finding people who are fine. The problem is that we don't have enough tests. And then if if we're looking to do, and I completely agree with Dr. Offit, to keep our schools open, one of the major things you would do is test even more. To find people, find kids, find teachers who are positive, isolate isolate them for a few days and keep the rest of the school open. The problem is that when you have so much virus in the community and you're trying to keep businesses open without testing, you're allowing the virus to continue to spread unabated. So if anything, we need to do much more testing, not bury our heads in, in the sands of Florida and, and hope for the best.:
0: Oh, less testing. we need more testing. We need, we, if, if everyone's getting tested three times a day, make sure we test them five times a day. Here's, here's my recommendation. This is my non-medical uh, recommendation as a non-medical expert. Um, if you have tests, just just you know, throw them away live your life. Here's, here's the, here's the strategy. It's, it's actually really simple. And this is basically how people operated, um, for most of human history up until three years ago. If you're sick, then stay home. And if you're not sick, then go about your business. It's really as simple as that. You know, you, you don't, you don't need a test to confirm. I, I, over over the Christmas break, I'm seeing some of these news reports about people standing in line. If they if they can't get the rapid test, they're standing in line for hours in the cold. I mean, you're standing in line in for hours in the cold to find out if you're sick. You might not have been sick, but by the time you get to the front of the line, now you are. The thing about being sick is that usually it's pretty clear when you're sick. You have you have symptoms. You don't you don't want to leave the house. You have a fever. I mean, these are the things you're looking for. And let's say you have a a cough and a fever and you're feeling miserable and all the rest of it. But you're but it could be COVID. It could not be COVID. Who cares if whether it's COVID or not? Just stay home. Drink lots of fluids. Try, Try to eat well. Get a lot of Rest. This is how people have been responding to sicknesses of this type for thousands of years. And if you're feeling okay, then 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 go about your business. I mean, this is obviously not sustainable. We have been sustaining it for three years and paid an enormous price for it. And this is not sustainable in the long term. It's already been a long term. This is not a sustainable on a permanent basis. Where, uh, you know... It, it, any anytime someone has a, a case of the sniffles, we got to test them. And if it turns out that they have this virus, which is ex- especially especially now with um, with uh, Omnicorn is extremely mild for almost everybody. Now they got to stay home for, you know, five. well, now now the CDC says five days before it was 10 days. And over the last couple of weeks, they said, oh, you know, we know we said 10 days, but actually more. It's, it's five days. What, where did that change come from? Was there some sort of scientific breakthrough? Did they make some kind of discovery in a lab somewhere that let them know that actually you only have to isolate for five days? No, this was a political decision. It was, also, it was also a practical decision. It's just not practical to tell people to stay in their homes for 10 days because they have the sniffles. Especially if, as it turns out, people can get this the virus more than once. And most of the time it's going to be very mild. But so what? Multiple times a year, potentially, you got to stay home for two weeks when you're hardly sick at all. So they made that change just for practical reasons. And that's why I, you know, I feel like we're fully justified in for practical reasons. This, this, this is about it's about it's about live, being able to live a life for practical reasons. We just say stop testing. If you're sick, stay home. It's not that difficult. All right, here's another thing that's not difficult, and that was obvious to most of us. We talked yesterday about how many of these common sense observations uh, that, that many of us have been making for years have very slowly now been um, endorsed by the media. People in the media who would have shouted us down and did shout us down for years for saying it, now they're saying the exact same thing. So here's the headline from CNN, um, and it's a question. Not They're not quite ready to make a statement yet, but it's a question, and they're saying, Can weight loss help protect against COVID-19? Can it? Hmm, I don't know. It says, in the holiday season, when the average American can easily pack on a few pounds, experts say there's another reason to pay attention to your weight, COVID-19. People who are overweight or obese are at a much higher risk of much more severe disease and even death from COVID-19. And one new study suggests that losing weight can reduce that risk. One study suggests that. Now, let me uh, clarify for you. It's not one study that suggests that every single study that's looked at this has found that. And that's also true, by the way, of like almost every disease. You know, if you're, if you're obese, then you're going to be at a greater risk when it comes to almost any illness because you're, you're unhealthy. You're starting from a baseline of being unhealthy. You're going to have a better shot against literally any sickness if you're in good physical shape. Um, now that's, that's the case generally, but there does appear to be something unique about COVID where you are especially susceptible to, for whatever reason, you're especially susceptible to, susceptible to it if you're obese, especially severely obese. Um, so it says the obesity epidemic has been a threat to Americans health, health for years. It's the second leading cause of preventable death after smoking Um, one study found that 30% of COVID-19 hospitalizations were in people with obesity. And, uh, and then it goes on for, I mean, but, but there's no reason to keep reading it really, because this is, this is something we've already known, but you're not allowed to talk about it for a number of reasons. One, of course, we know it's the body positivity movement and, uh, you're not supposed to make anyone feel bad about their body. And also, there can't be any element of personal accountability. Now, if we're talking about, you know, the personal accountability in in the sense that we're yelling at people to go get vaccinated, that's okay. We're allowed to do that. But what we're not allowed to do is um, advocate for lifestyle changes. That's the big no-no. Because... In our culture, your lifestyle is sacred. However, whatever style—the style with which you've chosen to live your life—is a sacred thing. And if your lifestyle involves putting on 200 extra pounds of lard on on your frame and walking around with it till it kills you, well, then that's you. You are you are blessed for making that choice. That's the the default reaction, which is why the, the left of the media has been so slow to point out that. Um, if you really want to protect yourself from COVID, lose some weight. I mean, if you're morbidly obese and you've been triple vaccinated, you're know that's you not helping yourself much. You're not helping yourself as much as you could be if you would just maybe hop on the treadmill, lay off the French fries, something like that. A little bit more um, on the COVID end of things. This is from a tweet from Carol Markowitz, who's a columnist For the New York Post, she says New York State Department of Health warns that they don't have enough uh, Paxlovid or monoclonal antibody treatment and therefore white people need not apply. And then she links to the uh, information sheet from the New York State Department of Health talking about the antibody treatments, which which uh, have been therapeutics that have been very successful in um, treating people who are infected with uh, covid. But they're running out of supplies, and so they got to start making decisions about who gets them, and now they're deciding on racial grounds. So from the the little fact sheet here, it gives you the eligibility requirements, and here's what it says. There's a little bit of euphemistic language here, a little bit, but not much. It says, eligibility. Oral antiviral treatment is authorized for patients who meet all of the following criteria. Age 12 years and older. Weighing at least 88 pounds. Okay. Um, test test positive for COVID-19. That makes sense. Have mild to moderate COVID symptoms. All of this makes sense so far. Um, able to start treatment within five days of symptom onset. Because if you start it too late, then it's not going to do you much good. And then have a medical condition or other factors that increase their risk for severe illness. What kind of medical conditions are we talking about? non-white race or hispanic latino ethnicity should be considered a risk factor as longstanding systemic health and social inequities have contributed to an increased risk of severe illness and death from covid-19 so i said that there's some euphemism here but but actually not really this is from the new york state department of health explicitly saying That if you want to get this treatment, you have to have a non-white race. Singling out one race in a negative way and saying everyone but them. And this is already absurdly, grotesquely illegal. It's not even close to legal. And um, there's, there's no justification for this that can make it legal, but... What they're what they're arguing is that, well, if if you're if you're a non-white race, then you've been subject to systemic inequalities. You haven't had a chance to have access to the same kinds of uh, the same kinds of treatments, and, and therefore we've got to balance things out. You know, maybe kill off a few of the whiteies. We could balance things out that way. If you are really worried about giving out these treatments and um, especially focusing on people who have been the victims of systemic inequality or whatever, then it it, it would be one thing if they said, well, we're going to prioritize uh, people of a certain income level. You know, we're going to prioritize the poor. I still would not be in favor of that. When it comes to potentially life-saving treatment, I mean, you should be excluding anyone based on race or 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 income or anything else. But if you were actually concerned about inequalities and you know, making sure that people who haven't had the opportunities get the opportunities, then that's what you would do. And notice again, I think I think it's worth uh, worth reiterating how they're they're not singling you know they're 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 singling white people out in a negative sense. You know, and I think that's, that's really significant. They're saying members of the non-white race are the ones that we're, that we're going to help. Completely illegal and absurd. All right, let's move on to, the, to this here. Um, as we lead into the holy anniversary of the most sacred day of remembrance, which is January 6th, the media wants to make it clear that one person you may not remember or mourn on that day, and hopefully by now you've thought about what you're going to be doing on January 6th, and uh, you're going to have a moment of silence and, and hopefully you have, I know in my family we've got all kinds of activities planned for that day um, because this is now our most, our most sacred day. But while you're doing that, uh, the one person you're not allowed to think about or mourn or remember is, of course, Ashley Babbitt. Even though Ashley Babbitt was the one person killed directly by violence on January 6th, it's just that it was violence from the Capitol Police towards her. Uh, now, you could mourn AOC instead, for example, who wasn't killed, but almost died of fright when she found out that some people were trespassing in a building next door. Uh, but Ashley Babbitt doesn't deserve our sympathy, and the media makes that clear. And now they've begun publishing hit pieces about this woman who's been dead for a year. And there have been multiple articles like this, but here's one from the uh, the AP. It says, if I pull this up, um, it says... Ashley Babbitt, a martyr, her past tells a more complex story. And it goes on to, it's a a long story here, uh, mostly dealing with kind of like a love triangle that Ashley Babbitt was involved in. It says the first time Celeste Norris laid eyes on Ashley Babbitt, the future insurrectionist, had just rammed her vehicle three times with an SUV and was pounding on the window, challenging her to a fight. Norris says the bad blood between them began in 2015, when Babbitt engaged in a months-long extramarital affair with Norris's longtime live-in boyfriend. When she learned of the relationship, Norris called Babbitt's husband and told him she was cheating. Um, and then she showed up and they got into a fight. And um, and that's basically it. That's, that's the dirt they dug up on Ashley Babbitt. After a year, the dirt is that she uh, had an extramarital affair and then got into a fight with uh, with her lover's girlfriend or whatever. Now, think about the fact that the, the AP thought it was worthwhile printing this because Ashley Babbitt is supposedly being presented as some sort of martyr, which, which by the way, she's not. I haven't heard anyone really do that. I haven't heard anyone say that Ashley Babbitt is a martyr. I haven't seen anyone, there aren't any monuments or, as far as I know, statues being built to her. I haven't heard anyone suggest that there ought to be. Um, I haven't seen any any uh, murals anywhere or anyone argue that there ought to be murals of her. Okay, we're not renaming streets Ashley Babbitt Lane. We're not talking about renaming buildings and schools. Um, there aren't, there's not even any legislation, the Ashley Babbitt Act. That's what happens when you make a martyr out of someone. And that's of course what they exactly what they did with George Floyd. And yet, with Ashley Babbitt, we get, uh, as I said, multiple articles talking about, I guess, this one incident from her life. Um, while George Floyd, who who literally is being presented as a martyr and a saint, basically a canonized saint, in the secular church of leftism, where are the articles about him? forcing his way into a woman's home at gunpoint and robbing her. The fact that he was a serial felon, a drug-addled, violent man. Is that now relevant? Are we allowed to talk about that finally? Or Dante Wright, as you've heard many times on this show. Uh, I mean, really, a, a violent psychopath, sociopath. I don't think you could think of or name a single BLM martyr who um, was not guilty of far worse things than Ashley Babbitt. And yet, of course, with every single one of those people, uh, if you're to talk about any of that, you'll be told that, well, what do you do? That's had nothing to do with anything that doesn't justify, right? Isn't that the, the line you always hear? I know I've heard it a million times, especially with Dante Wright. Even though he did all of these terrible things, he shot a, a kid in the, in the head, paralyzed him for life, robs a woman at gunpoint, carjacks somebody. What I am continually told is that none of that is relevant because it doesn't, that does not justify him getting shot in the moment during that traffic stop. You know, Kim Potter didn't know about most of that and, and none of that is relevant. So if Ashley Babbitt rammed her car into someone and got into a fight over a guy, even if she was kind of a nutcase, whatever, but how, how does that justify her being shot by a Capitol Police officer when she was unarmed? And she was crawling into a window, and it seems to me that, they, that this is a small woman and a large man. Nobody else fired their gun. None of the other Capitol Police officers, you know, some of them now, after the fact, have gone on CNN and they talked about it was a war zone and they've been traumatized by it. But in the moment, none but that one thought that the situation had uh, gotten to the point where it was justified to use lethal force. How does any of this vindicate that is the question? Of course, it doesn't at all. All right. This is from The Daily Wire. It says, um, Arlington County, Virginia, recently introduced a proposal for a new grading system based on the idea of equity that would allow an unlimited number of retakes on assignments, ban extra credit, and would block grading on homework assignments, according to Fox News. In response, numerous teachers from Arlington slammed the proposal, saying that it would essentially give children a free pass and dramatically reduce the quality of education in the county. Proponents of the new system claim that having certain standards, like having late penalties in education often harms poor children who may not have access to resources necessary to complete assignments on time. Um, This is always tough for me, especially when it comes to uh, these changes to the way we approach homework. Because I, I actually agree that, forget about grading homework assignments, I don't think that there should be homework assignments at all. And we're seeing more and more school districts, they're moving away from homework or they're giving out homework but they're not grading it. And if you're not grading it, then effectively, you know, you might as well not be giving it out at all. Um, And I agree with that. I think that's the right move. It's just that they're doing it for all the wrong reasons. And that's the problem. It's got nothing to do with racial equity whatsoever. Okay, it's not like um, non-white children are more impacted or victimized by homework. That, that's, that's something that children of all races have been suffering for, for decades. But uh, I don't like it as a policy because I happen to think, you know, I, I think that you're, the time that kids spend at home with their families, that that time is important. And if they're going to public school, they already spend way too much time there in that government building. Doing what government employees tell them to do. Allegedly doing what they're told to do anyway. Uh, and once you go home, that's time with your family. So I don't like the idea of the school system intruding on that time at home. You've already got the, the whole, it's the whole, item. most, I, I can say from experience as most of us can, 95% of the homework assignments you're given anyway are just busy work. They, the teachers give it to you because that's what you do. You give homework assignments. Um, And they figure, well, you're you're leaving. You're going to have a few hours at home. We might as well give you more stuff to do. But the kids are there for six to seven, eight hours a day, if not longer. You need to be able to provide them a complete education within that time. If they're there for seven hours a day, five days a week, nine months a year, for 12 or 13 years, that that should be enough time while they're in the building to provide them with a quality education and to get all of your lessons in. And if you can't, then you got to start looking at what you're, how you're spending that time. My favorite thing um, when I was a kid is you'd have these classes where you do almost nothing in the actual class. Like you'd watch movies. I, I, I still remember I took, I took a, as I've mentioned before, I took three years of Spanish. I still don't know a word of Spanish. I know how to say bench in Spanish. That's the only thing I, I know how to say uh, or bank. I still haven't figured out which one it is. Banco. But In One of my Spanish classes, we spent, I think it was uh, maybe two weeks watching the movie Selena with Jennifer Lopez. And that was, that was our, that was our lesson plan was just to sit there and watch the movie Selena. But then she would still send us home with homework to do once we got home. And I can remember even as a kid thinking, well, we're in the class right now. Why not turn the movie off and we'll do this here. And then I can go home and just be home. So I'm in favor of that. Get rid of, get rid of uh, ho- homework. Shouldn't be graded. Shouldn't be given it out at all. But even when they do the right thing, they do it for the wrong reasons. That's what we find so often. Um, and uh, finally, before we get to the comment section, I wanted to mention this headline as well. Deadline reports Spider-Man No Way Home is now the 10th highest grossing movie at the box office with $610 million. Probably more than that. This is a few days old. I just wanted to say, I mean, very rarely do I actually see these big blockbuster movies when they're in theaters. And I did see this one. I took my kids to see it over the, uh, over the Christmas break and uh, a couple spoilers here. Um, and I hate to be so predictable, but I have to tell you that I I didn't like the movie. I know it seems like everyone loves it. It's got like 105% on Rotten Tomatoes. Everyone loves the movie. Um, for me, the, the Spider-Man movie exemplifies everything that's wrong with superhero movies. And first of all, just to run through some of the problems. There are no stakes. Okay, I don't mean S-T-E-A-K-S. Um, there, there's nothing at stake. Okay, there's, there's, no, there's, no, there's not a whiff of suspense or narrative tension with these movies. Because every problem is solved with either miraculous technology or superpowers and okay that part I get it's a superhero movie or or literal magic now it's been a while since I've seen one of these and now apparently now in the in the Marvel superhero universe they have actual wizards who can just who can just fly in and snap their fingers and make everything okay so there's no limits there's no rules within the universe itself and then and then so it's like watching someone play a video game with all the cheat codes there's no suspense to it. There's, there's no point in watching it. I'm, I'm fine, obviously, with uh, the idea of a superhero movie or a science fiction movie where things can happen in that world that can't happen in reality. That makes sense. It's fiction. But what you have to do, and this is just good writing, you, you set the rules for this universe in the beginning. And the rules can be completely different from the rules in our universe. That's fine. But then you have to obey those rules within the story. Um, instead, in this movie, you know, you could have a supervillain super from a previous film. And, uh, you know, he 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 took up multiple films. He was a big bad guy in previous films. And in this one, he was like turned good with a contraption that a kid whips together in a lab out of scrap metal in three minutes. I never explain how he did it, but oh, okay, well, you could do that now. And if that doesn't work, a wizard can fly in and brainwash the world. And there are multiverses and time warps, and you can go back in time and forward in time. All of that can be utilized if the narrative requires. If the writers write themselves into a, you know, write their backs against the wall and they need to get out of a, of, of a tough pinch, well, you know, just go to a different universe, bring a wizard in, whatever, whatever you have to do. And then you have like a superhero can stop a train or something with one hand. In one scene. But then in the next, he can be knocked unconscious with a simple punch to the head. Doesn't make any sense. You see, the rules are rewritten depending on what the writers need for each scene. And it's lazy and boring. It's fun for the kids, but it's bad filmmaking. That's my issue with Spider-Man. But the kids did enjoy it. Now let's get to the comment section.
2: Do you know their name? The sweet
0: baby gang. This is from Elizabeth says, I've been missing the show so much. I've been going back and rewatching old episodes. Well, that's a mistake, Elizabeth. The old episodes suck. Uh, Andrew says, how come no DW host is talking about Joe Biden's repeating and agreeing with let's go, Brandon? Yeah, that, that, that's a shame that we missed that. But it, it feels like so long ago now. There's not much to say about it. That hasn't been said a million times. Um, that's one of the problems with living in the internet age is that the moment something happens, it's 24 hours later, everything that you could possibly say about that event has already been said. And in this case, it's been, um, it's been like a week and a half, but it was funny. There we go. There's my, there's my analysis of that whole situation. Um, and, and also it is very troubling once again, that we have a president who clearly has dementia and has no idea what's going on and, uh, and, uh, and all of that. Vin JK diesel says, Matt, I would like to call the new variant. I would like you to call the new variant, the candy corn variant that would really make my day. Oh, Omnicorn candy corn. I will take that joke suggestion under advisement. I'll think about it. Thank you for that. Um, SD Falco says, Matt, you're forgetting about Willie Nelson as a I guess one of the most beloved Americans or a universally beloved American. Great show. I missed missed you when you were away. Happy New Year. Um, Yeah, a few people suggesting him. We're talking about who are the universally beloved Americans that are left, uh, even if we're, you know, Alex, I'm counting Alex Trebek, even though he wasn't an American. uh, Now that we lost, uh, now that we lost Betty White, we lost John Madden in the same week. Um, We lost Norm MacDonald in the same year. Alex Trebek. And, I think I, I as far as I can tell, yeah, Dolly Parton and Denzel Washington are the two we have left. That everyone seems to like both of those people. A couple other suggestions in the comments, Willie Nelson and then um, and then also Bill Murray was probably Bill Murray, you could put it there. Willie Nelson, I don't know. I think the weed thing might preclude him from being universally loved. He's probably too associated with that. And so I'm not sure that he that he makes the cut. I don't know. Uh, another comment says, I think you're missing the point of the marriage requires amnesia article, Matt. The article was not about her hating her husband, but rather about how she loves her husband in spite of his annoying habits. The article ends with her saying that she loves her husband and that she'll stay with him forever. In an age where where people get divorced the first time they hit a bump in the road, like Honor Jones did the message that life with a spouse and kids while aggravating on a daily basis is worthwhile in the end is very important. Yeah, if that was the message, it would have been a great article. But that wasn't the message. She literally said that she hates her husband. You know, And especially when you're a writer and you're writing for a major publication, you're, the words you use matter. And that word hate really matters. So I said that yesterday. If, if all we're talking about is is anger and how, look, sometimes there's anger in a marriage. And so it's an article about how do you work through that anger and love your your spouse in spite of that. That's fantastic. Many, many articles, many books have been written on that subject. But there's obviously no place for hatred in a marriage, which is what the article was about. And Tercio says, Matt, you probably used too much butter for the cookies. That's why they melted when you baked them. Cookies are like humans in that way. If you add too much fat, they lose their shape. You're supposed to use butter for cookies? I, that was probably my problem. I, I think I just, took some, I just took some flour and water and I, and, I, and I threw it in the oven. I think that probably, thinking back on it, maybe that was the issue. As you know, the Daily Wire has led the charge to sue the Biden administration for his vaccine mandates, and now we're taking it all the way to the Supreme Court. This Friday, the Supreme Court will convene to hear arguments on the legality and constitutionality of the mandate, which means this week is going to be huge in our fight against medical tyranny. We have already over 1 million signatures on our do not comply petition, but uh, we want to get even more. We're greedy. So you can help us send a message loud and clear and head to dailywire.com do not comply right now. Add your signature to the petition if you haven't already. We're counting on you to help us put a stop to this uh, absolutely disgusting and tyrannical federal overreach. Go again to dailywire.com do not comply. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. On Sunday, for the first time in well over 30 years, something interesting happened during a Jets game. The fascinating spectacle didn't take place on the field of play, but on the sidelines where Tampa Bay Buccaneers wide receiver Antonio Brown decided to quit in the middle of the third quarter. He took off his shoulder pads, ripped off his shirt, pranced off the field while his team was still playing, and, um, and at that point, they actually were losing to the Jets. And you could almost excuse this behavior if the sheer shame of losing to the Jets is what drove him off the field. It would at least be understandable, but that doesn't appear to be the motivating factor. Now, there are conflicting reports about what led to his leaving uh, the field. Brown's camp claims that the coach told him to go into the game, but Brown refused because he had an ankle injury and couldn't play, and then the coach cut him on the spot. That's what they're saying. The coach disputes that version of events. It's important to note here that Brown is a liar. He's a horrible teammate on literally every team he's ever played on, and he has a history of quitting on on his teams, all of his teams. He's quit on all of them. So there's no reason to believe his version. Also, here's how it looked as he left the field. Watch.
2: Very odd situation. Antonio Brown boiled over. Very upset on the sideline. Took off his shoulder pads mike evans oj howard trying to convince him to keep them on obviously they were unable to do so he tossed his shoulder pads stripped off his shirt and glove threw those into the crowd then ran across the field while the teams were still on the field giving the crowd a peace out sign i'll let you know when we hear something official on his status you
0: know you don't normally expect a guy with a crippling leg injury to dance and do jumping jacks as he's leaving the field so, so no, I think he, he simply quit on his team in the middle of the game. That much is obvious. The Bucks did go on to win by four points, although morally speaking, beating the Jets by four points is equivalent to losing by 10 to a real NFL team. But in any case, the head coach of the Bucs announced in the post-game press conference that Brown was no longer on the team. Meanwhile, Brown took a private jet back to his house in the middle of the game. And uh, when he got back to his house, he released a rap song. Now, I know you may be worried that I'll play the song for you, but you should know that I would never waste your time like that. Just kidding. Of course, I will. Here
1: it is. Well,
0: there's no question that um, the man is a poet. Maybe there's a little question, mostly because nobody knows what he was saying there. It sounds like he was rapping with 10 Jolly Ranchers in his mouth. But artistry aside, as an athlete, Brown's career is finished, as it should be. He's an egomaniac. He's a crybaby. He's a quitter. He abandoned his team in the middle of a game. And that's the cardinal sin in sports, to quit, or it used to be. But that was before the era of Simone Biles, when quitting athletes are now viewed as heroes, or at least as victims who deserve our unending sympathy. And so that quickly became the narrative in this case also. The AP published a piece uh, with this headline about Antonio Brown. It says, Antonio Brown's mental health is no joke. Internet commenters were chastised for daring to make jokes about the whole situation. Quote, uh, from the writer Rob Maddy, he he scolds us, quote, Brown's mental health is no joke to be trivialized by a meme. Yeah, I mean, you heard his rap song. This is a tortured artist we're dealing with. Let us not trivialize him. It's not as though he's trivialized himself, right? Maddie argued that even if Brown is out of the league forever now, he should still, quote, get the benefit of various mental health services the NFL offers players and team personnel. The other sports, uh, other sports writers chimed in. Ross Tucker said on Twitter, I expressed significant concern about Antonio Brown's mental health over two years ago. The man needs help. And then writer Bakari Sellers tweeted, Antonio Brown is unstable and needs mental health treatment. The league doesn't care as long as he runs routes and catches passes. Without immediate help and no football, bad things could happen. Someone needs to wrap their arms around him. Now, this again is a grown man we're talking about. Someone needs to wrap their arms around him? The author Malcolm Gladwell echoed these concerns. He said, I'm stunned by the lack of sympathy for Antonio Brown. He's clearly struggling. Is this how we treat people who are going through difficult times? struggling, the poor deer, the poor multimillionaire athlete. How dare we be so callous to a person suffering through such a difficult time? You know, I I just finished reading a book about the Donner Party, which of course is the group of uh, 19th century pioneers who got stuck in the mountains on the way to California, and half of them starved or froze to death, and then their corpses were eaten by the other half. And needless to say, Their whole experience was kind of a bummer, but it pales in comparison to the plight of a Tampa Bay Buccaneers wide receiver. I mean, no soul has ever suffered so much as him. On Monday afternoon, the media asked Brown's former head coach about the incident, and the questioning mostly revolved around this this issue of poor Antonio's mental health. Listen.
1: You've been someone that's expressed genuine care and concern for Antonio. How tough was it for you to see what happened yesterday and to make
2: that call?
0: Yeah, it was very hard. And I, I, I wish him well. I hope um, if he needs help, get some. And, uh, but, um, yeah, I, it's very hard because I do care about him.
1: And um, was there any type of conversation with him before you made that decision post-game? And, and was there any sort of mental health evaluation performed on him before he left the stadium?
0: I have no idea. Mental health evaluation performed on him before he left the stadium? It's an NFL team. It's not Arkham Asylum. How would that work exactly? Meanwhile, back on social media, thousands of random people who also apparently happen to be expert neurologists all decided that Antonio Brown must have CTE, which is the brain condition brought on by repeated blows to the head. It's been declared over and over again that Brown isn't at fault for any of his actions. He got hit in the head one too many times. And somehow, though nobody can really explain how, that caused him to act like an enormous jerk. Now, the problem with this diagnosis, of course, is that the people making it are utterly and completely full of crap. CTE is still quite mysterious. We don't know for sure how it relates to football injuries or if it does. And even if it does, we don't know how it would cause people to act in certain ways or if it does. In other words, CTE is an excuse for Antonio Brown, a rationalization with no evidentiary basis. And which ignores the fact that Brown has been a selfish jerk for his entire career. It's not the the compounded result of 10 years worth of concussive episodes. He's always been like this. So that is, again, an excuse. And the same can be said about the whole mental health angle in general. You see, all of this is part of the general effort by so many in our culture to remove agency from the individual, to turn everybody into victims, into patients, into sufferers. None of us choose to act in, in one way or another way. Rather, the actions occur, the choices are made, and we are the victims of the results if they don't go our way. It's like we're all constantly pleading insanity for ourselves and one another in the court of public opinion. Don't blame anybody for anything. All bad choices are the fruits of mental health problems, and blaming someone for a mental health problem is like blaming them for arthritis. That's the attitude anyway, and it's totally ridiculous. There, there are crazy people in this world who cannot control themselves, who shouldn't be held morally responsible for their actions, but those people aren't playing in the NFL. They're sitting on park benches arguing with squirrels. You know those kinds of people when you meet them. They aren't, they aren't mentally with it. They aren't competent. They can't care at all for themselves. That's not the case for Antonio Brown. It's not the case for most of the garden variety jerks and a-holes who get by on the mental health excuse these days. For them, the problem is not mental deficiencies, but deficiencies of character. See, we used to talk about and acknowledge things like character and virtue before we decided that all of the jackasses and schmucks in the world are actually mental patients. And in Antonio Brown's case, it's not difficult to pinpoint where his trouble really began. It begins with this. He's a pampered, coddled superstar athlete. And so at the age of 33, he's been a pampered, coddled superstar athlete for most of his life, going back to high school. And that means that he almost always gets his way. It means people bend over backwards to accommodate him and satiate him. It means they make excuses for him, just like they're doing right now. They give him more chances than he deserves, just like they're doing right now. Uh, you know, My dad used to tell me that, that it's good to get rejected sometimes. It's good to fail because it builds character. And you have to learn how to deal with not getting what you want. But there are some people who have never had to learn that lesson. And they end up morally stunted as a result. It's called being entitled. It's not that complicated. Most people in our culture today suffer from this entitlement disease to one degree or another. A guy like Antonio Brown has it terminally. Except it's not really a disease because it's developed as a result of his own choices, his own moral habits. Again, it's not complicated, he's not a victim. And the more he's treated like one, the worse the problem gets. And that's why Antonio Brown, and also, of course, his army of enablers, are all today canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodasky. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Dr. Fauci accidentally admits that he collaborated with the Chinese communists. Big tech suspends a sitting U.S. congressman for wrong think. And the libs and their collaborators gear up for the sacred feast of January 6th. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.